There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there. G'day, gang. How is everyone? Self-isolation? Social isolation, social distancing? Or is it more like physical distancing? And we should be socially interacting more, just perhaps it's over email, Skype, Zoom, internet, whatever. Anyway, whatever it is, let's just do this and break the back of what is now a common enemy in this virus. Okay, today, Joel Jackson. Joel Jackson is an Australian actor, uh, musician. He's best known for his role as Charles Bean in Deadline Gallipoli, and also he played Peter Allen in Peter Allen. Um, Not the Boy Next Door, I think it was called. For both roles, he was nominated for and won 2015 Actor Award for the Best Lead Actor in a Television Drama. Um, He's a Noongar man. Albany, Karatha, from Albany to Karatha, I should say. Um, and then off to NIDA. Uh, so we talk a lot about Indigenous Australian culture and tribes. We talk about bullying and how he coped with that. We talk about failing better. How to fail better, I love that. And identifying weaknesses. And then working on those to become better and all-rounded. How to jump into opportunities when they present themselves. And a really interesting take on how to hear no and be more resilient to it. Also, he sings a little bit. And then and then I sing at about the one hour and one minute mark. <laughs> and uh, yeah, his reaction's priceless. What else? That's about it. Let's jump into the show. What's going yeah. on with that shirt, Joel? Are you trying to channel your inner Peter Allen? Mate, this is just me. I try to have like a holiday shirt at least like once a week. And it's just the jam. It, uh, and the best thing is a holiday shirt is for everybody else too. So, <laughs> but the, the crazy thing is you wear, and some dude down the street will be like, "Hey, cool shirt, dude." And you're like, "Yeah, wear a floral shirt, son. Get it in you." Yes. Yeah. I'm a. I'm a. <laughs> this is the most outlandish shirt I own. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm still embracing. I'm still embracing my my inner um, extrovert. Yeah, mate. It'll get there. It'll get there. I'm not sure. Let's just jump straight into it. Yeah, mate, for sure. So, Joel Jackson, welcome. Thank you very much for having God, me. God, it's sir. been a long time be coming. Yeah, it's been, what, um, oh, since November last year? Yeah, it's been a while. We got there. It's been a while. So, I, I first, we'll, we'll get into who you are in a moment, but because, you know, I want a bit of a teaser. It's, it's a podcast, you know, sort of strategy. So, I first saw you when you, I think you were playing at the same time as Birds of Tokyo. Is that right? Did you, were you supporting, but by yourself, for the Western Australian of the Year Awards? Was that the right event? God, so many events. Yes. Yeah, we did. 
that that would have been it. Just before them, I got up and did a solo set, and then they got up and and rocked the night out. That would have been us. You okay? So you came on the stage now. Now listen, I've got a few friends who are in the industry, in industries similar to yours. So there's everyone knows I'm friends with Dan McPherson. I, I roll that out all the time. Loveliest bloke you'll ever meet, and he's got a work ethic like no one I've ever seen. But he's also extremely yeah. talented. I saw you come on that stage. I turned to Jackie and some other people at our table, and I said, "Holy shit, this guy's got some serious talent. Who is this dude?" <laughs> Um, and, and I obviously Googled why you were playing and then linked that to an Instagram post. Um, but yeah, I was like, I, I am blown away. Thanks, by, Mark. Yeah, I am blown away by people who have your sort of talent. And I, and I also have a young son who's, uh, he's just started finding his own tribe, playing music and on the drums and playing guitar. And so he's 10. But um, so I see where that comes from in, in people when they're just absolutely driven by by that um by that tribe and that experience but um yeah anyway joel tell people who you are yeah well i, I really like what you just said about tribe and i suppose I'll, mm. I'll jump on that and explain kind of who i am from there but okay. i come from uh, a very big family born and raised down in albany farming family and and wharf type workers and teachers and stuff like that um mm. And then we moved up from Albany to Caratha in northwestern Australia, so one extreme to the other when I was about nine and continued to grow up in, a, in small environments mm. with intense tribes in terms of sport, uh, community leadership, music, uh, all those types of things. Mm. And I suppose that kept pushing me in a way to, to go and explore then what else was going on. And I, I left to go and do... Uh, like student exchange when I was about 17 and yeah, then Brazil. I took off. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty insane. Yeah. Um, and, and that really opened me up to the, the possibility of so many other um, just lives, you know, like I, I hadn't even contemplated what I would be doing after high school or where I would be going or who I wanted to be. And mm. that really opened me up to just the possibility of doing anything and everything. So I came back home and, Worked in the mine sites for a year and got some money together and then auditioned for the acting schools, got in to NIDA, lived there for three years in Sydney and then from then on have been kind of running nonstop and continuing yeah. to live that nomadic creative lifestyle and just living from opportunity to opportunity, which has been amazing. And it's taken me around the world and it's taken me to work with great people and people may have seen projects or may not have seen stuff, but yeah. the hope is uh, to continue to grow those skills so that you can be written up as an overnight success because that's what everyone kind of Thanks. tends to do. Yeah. But that's the, at the end of the day, that's the, you look at people like Margot Robbie and, and other great uh, Australian actors, Joel Edgerton and stuff like that. They'd been, he was at it for, you know, 15, 18 yeah. years before it really cracked for him. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, people use. I suppose I don't really explain much about myself, but yeah. Anyway. No, it does a lot. It does a lot because, you, you, you know, I'm drawn to those sort of people as well. Hard, the hardest worker in any room. And, you know, the, the sort of things that you've been involved with, I mean, you're good enough to be able to play with Birds of Tokyo. You've supported and played with Ian Moss. I mean, we're talking Australian Australian rock and roll royalty. You can sing, you can dance, you can act. You played Charles Bean in the miniseries Deadline Glippily. So it's not like, you know, and you can't play a part like that unless you can immerse yourself in the history of, of Gallipoli, which means that, like someone like Merrick Watts, who has this amazing ability to recount military history, you've had to study that. Um, and you played, yeah. and you played Peter Allen, 
which is well when you think about that and I and I did a heap of research on you doing that when when you think about that that is a really polarizing person who you could either and by polarizing person I mean the people who would love him if you muck that up there's a there's a whole swathe of 60 plus year old you know pe- you know people who will have you you know yeah yeah so that was amazing there's, there's a- Thanks, man. And and there's a great accountability, like what you were saying about um, the military history and, and and also with Peter Allen. But you're playing, you know, the film I'm doing at the moment too. I've This will be the sixth, no, the fifth time that I'm playing a, a real-life person in a TV or film thing. And the accountability and responsibility that goes hand-in-hand hand with that is what makes those things really special. Yeah. Um, it makes it really scary, but that is something that I suppose Dan McPherson would say the same, like that that only enhances your level of, of work and only enhances the level of um, attention to detail. And, you know, people were, and that was a really strange period too, coming out of Peter Allen, you're being compared to the next, you know, the next Hugh Jackman or what's going to happen here. And you're hearing all that stuff in, in media reports and a strange, a strange time for, that was the second thing I ever did. Mm. And Charles Bean being the first. Mm. And it's that idea of then reckoning with, your own idea of where your value system is. And it's like, well, do I value my, like where I'm at and where I'm going and whatever comes next? Or do yeah. I value getting to be that name or getting yeah. to be that thing? And do I have to be who they are saying that I'm going to be, which mm. is, which I think kind of warped me out for about two years. Um, just being a younger guy, very inexperienced. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. The, the parlay in like doing the work and then others, what they say about your work. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, remind me if I forget it. Let's let's talk about scripts and how hard it is to to learn them a bit later on. But for now, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Karatha because you moved up there when you were quite young, and I just wonder. It, it seems to come across to me just how important Outback Australia is to you as a person. It sort of like lives yeah. and seems to live and breathe inside your your blood, even though you're this um, you're this creative who could probably be just at home in California, you know, as you are in Sydney, but Caratha, mm-hmm. Albany, those places, how important are they to you? Uh, so important, man. I, I cannot stress. Um, and my heritage is Noongar. So my great-grandmother was part of the Tondurup Nation uh, and Noongar is the biggest Southwest Australian uh, language group of the Indigenous Australian. Is that right? And my heritage is Indigenous and... I suppose growing up, my dad was very connected to that and would always tell us stories about our people. And, and he's, he's an educator and has worked as an Indigenous educator his whole entire life and worked between communities and cities to make sure that that gap continues to close and that people have all the opportunities they're afforded. Mm. And so he'd always make time to kind of take you back to the middle of nowhere and then just sit down and kind of mm. ask you to go back in your mind and be like, imagine what this would have been like if you're just walking yeah. around, moving from place to place. Like... What, what you can live off this land. You can exist within this thing. It's hostile, but it's so beautiful and mm. it's so unforgiving, but at the same time, it's very generous. So uh, those kind of adventures and, and especially growing up in Karatha where, you know, you've got two massive language gr- groups in Dinyalama and the Injabadi language groups in those tribes and half of the population that you're going to school with is like Anglo and then black. And that's, there's no kind of um, middle ground. I remember coming to, Sydney for the first time and seeing like um, oh, going to Chinatown blew my mind. Yeah. Just 
the ignorance of, of how I, I mean, I was lucky to grow up in a place like the bush because I'm not ignorant to that, but the ignorance of other cultures within Australia really blew me away just because I'd never been exposed. But the exposure of those uh, Indigenous cultures made me appreciate that land. And man, when you go and sit out in the middle of nowhere and you just listen and you like, I don't know, that I'm, I'm reading this book about Comanche warfare at the moment. Mm. Um, Empire of the Summer Moon. Uh, they're talking about how young men would go on like a five-day fast and they'd walk into the middle of the plains and sit there and wait for a vision that would then tell them kind of what their life is going to be and it would come mm. from the great spirit and all those kind of things. Because they're starving. Hey? Because they're starving. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm, I'm sitting there like, well, I would too. That's where, like, no, where Pete Evans right. gets all the, um, it's where Pete Evans gets all of his sort of visions for his next book. He doesn't eat. <laughs> Amazing. Just sucks on bone marrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good on him. But but I, I yeah I love that place, man. And I mm. I if anyone's thinking about taking a holiday, I'd encourage you to kind of holiday in Australia and mm. and go and visit Arnhem Land. Go and see the middle of nowhere. Go out bush. Just mm. man, it's beautiful. It'll teach it'll teach you a lot about yourself. Yeah. So and my yeah, my sons are are now sixth generation Australian. So so my family. Well, one line of my family has been here for a long time. Um, but I often wonder, yeah, they're first settlers in, in South Australia, so um, not convicts. <laughs> so, but I often, <laughs> so I, I often wonder, though, if a lot more generations of Australians, especially that have been around as long as ours, how much more Indigenous, um, oh, what's even the right, correct way to say it, you know, Indigenous heritage they have that we don't know about because because 150, 100, even 100, even 20 years ago we weren't talking about those sort of things. And, and so I just wonder how much of us have got more Aboriginal heritage than we realise. And I'm not trying to yeah. be politically correct about that. I'm just saying that it's it's a likelihood that that was an unspoken thing that had occurred, you know, in, in, in lines of families and we don't know, especially in Adelaide. Totally, man. Totally. And we are, we are home to the oldest indigenous and the oldest living civilization in the world. And we don't talk about it. Mm. Um, and they, we have, uh, you know, stones that, uh, Bruce Pascal's book, the dark emu is, I think one of the craziest things I've ever read because he's talking about finding grinding stones in the middle of Arnhem land that outdate the grinding stones in Egypt. Like we were making bread, before the Egyptians and having agriculture and threshing stones and all these things. And they live in the back of museums here in Australia and they're unlabeled and undated. Yeah, and it's, and it's not too hard to imagine that, you know, a 60,000-year civilization may have been a lot more advanced at some points uh, and then things happened. Yeah, and, and you look at, like, even with the Comanches too, you know, they fought warfare for 200 years in the same way and the Western frontier couldn't break through. And, mm, mm, mm. you know, people, yeah, it's it, it, that, that idea of... Uh, so interesting. Like in, yeah, like an indigenous idea of that thing of um, people saying, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses in certain areas and you lose and gain certain things. Like I, I, I wish that in our modern day we had more of a tribe mm. culture mm. to us, which I think we've lost because of that thing of um, the way that our, our system works. But yeah, I think which I think that they, I think they we're about to be, I think we're about to be pushed into finding it. Depending on what happens, you know. One hundred percent, man. Yeah. We'll be leaning over balconies, handing toilet paper to each other. We'll be like, "Thanks, bro." Yeah. Hey, so when you went, when you were in between creative things, 
you were working in the mining yeah. industry. I was, yeah, I was. What did you do there? Mate, I was a, I was a trades assistant. Mm. Uh, I worked as a labourer and a landscaper. Um, pretty much anything where someone needed to just need a grunt, mm. I, was, I was that dude. And I love it. I, I think there's something really good about just doing a menial task and putting your, your head aside and just using the body that you're given to, to do something. Um, it also helps that you're being paid pretty well for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but but those, those kind of people, uh, like also the, the inspiration that would come from just working with guys and working with late, like men and women who love what they do. Mm. They love the people they work with and people they work for. They love their country. And at the end of the day, they're who are going to be watching and listening to your music or, or watching your stories. Mm. So if you can connect to what they're about and that universalness, of, it's so much more important than kind of just hanging out with creators all the time who are in their own world. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair call. And do you find that you have a more genuine connection then with with you know everyday Australians because of those experiences? Oh man, yeah, I think so. But also like, uh, or is that putting people I, I in boxes everything. too much? Yeah, you you just kind of, and I I think I'm always the first guy to kind of make an effort with anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like I. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever met a stranger in my life um, just because of trying to relate to people. Mm. Um, and that came before I wanted to be a storyteller. And the more stories I've told, the more I've understood that I'm not telling these stories for myself. I'm telling these stories for, for other people. So if I can't connect to other people, then then what am I doing? So mm. every time you get a coffee, every time you stand behind someone in line or you're waiting at a bus stop or doing what, like yesterday I went looking for props for this guy in the film coming up, just driving around to salvos and vintage stores and stuff, looking for little little paraphernalia and stuff that you won't find in, you know, other stores. Uh, and just made an effort to talk to three different people at every mm. store, mm. just whether it was a sentence or a bit of a conversation or whatever. It's Because you glean stuff from people. You, you, As a creative, you're kind of always weaning and suckling off of, other people's inspiration and other people's stories because that then informs you of the variety that you're capable of accessing as a as a person because yeah. if you just limit yourself to your own point of view then it's kind of it's kind of boring it was hard for me to nail down the, the questions for you because you're so diverse like there's you can <laughs> do you know what i mean like like do i go down them because people wouldn't know this but you you know you, you legitimately train like an athlete you do you you can you can sing and dance and play any instrument pretty much well within reason you know <laughs> yeah within reason you know yeah. you're an, you're an, you're an but, but it's just such a diverse I, I wonder do you have any problem identifying with who you are or yourself <laughs> or do you know do you, are you really well grounded and know exactly who you are and if you do then how have you formulated that so people at home listening to this can say this is my this is how I work out my identity yeah man good yeah crazy good question I suppose as a younger guy, I really struggled with it, um, especially around the time when I was 18 and the opportunity to study at NIDA and Whopper came up or to play football with Swan Districts and the Waffle um, or to do something else, to go to university and study or go abroad. Um, Crazy. So many options. Yeah, and I, yeah, way too many. And, and I suppose my, I'm lucky that my dad and my mum are so supportive in that thing of, and, and also taught me how to listen to myself and Steven Spielberg talks about it a little bit, but he's like, learn to quieten all the voices in your head and whether that be through meditation exercise or, you know, quiet time, because the quietest voice is going to be the most 
informative, that little whispering kind of intuitive thing that just tells you what you want, what you actually are. And so for a few years, I just kind of hacked away into the jungle of where I thought I was going and mm. what I thought I wanted to do, which was moving out of WA. So I moved to Sydney. That was the first choice of kind of going, okay, well, that seems like the right idea. And as soon as I got to NIDA, I realized I'd been given a really good opportunity. So I studied like a monk for three years and would be at the library every weekend and reading philosophy, but then going and seeing shows and going to art galleries and, and taking anybody for a coffee who would, who would let me. Mm. And I suppose that too is, is that thing of uh, inherent mentorship, if you, can, if you can say like that. So having conversations with those people and listening to the stories of their lives kind of gave me like a little blueprint of where I might want to go and where I didn't want to go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the more conversations I had with people who had been there and done that, not just talking in circles with my mates and Mm. no one can figure out what we're doing or, or get outside of our own heads and kind of see it from a a bigger picture, having conversations with elders and and people that were more experienced gave me the scope of what I was capable of, Mm. A, B, what I wasn't capable of and, and how to link those C like, and then where I might get to if I could put them together. Mm, so yeah. that was then like, okay, I can move, but I can't dance. So I've got to learn to dance, which then led to the opportunity of doing Peter Allen. Mm. Um, sing, but I'm not musically trained. So I've got to train myself musically and understand sheet music and technique. Like, okay, well, let's do that. Crazy. So putting those things together. And the more, the more I've done, the more I've whittled down like Mm. if you imagine kind of sitting with a massive piece of wood and a tiny knife and the tiny knife is time and the woods like you you just slowly whatever you do everything you're doing with every day you can't stop you have to keep moving forward so every time you do move forward whether it's a wrong thing or a a right thing you're still going to take a piece of wood off right but the more wood you take off the more you see and the more you can kind of design what you like so same as that concept of fail 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 better yeah it's Every decision, whether it be a bad one or a good one, is going to help you get to where you want. And now I'm really sure about who I want to be and, and where I'm going. I don't mm. necessarily tell people just because it's like, yeah, if you do, Personal. people might think you're a little bit insane. Yeah. Um, but and I do now have to sit with myself whenever I make a choice to, like, to do a podcast with with yourself, mm. or when I have time. Now I'm really um, careful about who and what I give my time to now, which I wasn't. Two years ago. Yeah. Um, oh, and man. you start to understand. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I'm right. I like to tell people, you know, I like to define myself now on what I say no to. Um, yeah. And, and I mean that from, from the perspective of I used to say yes to everything and get pulled from pillar to post, whether it be with business, with the podcast, with my writing, whatever. And now, yeah. And now I've, I've got the courage to say, look, I can't do that. I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. And, and to think of that. Same thing, man. For the for the last three years, I think I was doing like upwards of like fifteen big big charity events across the country, just to get name out and, there. Yeah, just to get my name out, and and it, look, it really helped. And I'm not saying like don't do work for charity, oh, and, and obviously to support, obviously, yeah. Totally, but you're not but, being but paid it was for exhausting. This. Yeah, no, you're not being paid, and it's exhausting. And then other people think that that's all you do, so you work for free, yeah. and you're like, well, hang on, yeah. What am I saying? What am I doing? I can do that work for charity behind closed doors, which I do now with Australian Children's Music Foundation and Soldier On. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people would be surprised to hear that you that you support the the military um, charities, but and what our vets 
and what our men and women serving around the world do. And I, I cannot be in, mm. in higher admiration of the people, man. I, yeah, tip my cap to you guys. Yeah, it's, it's often, it doesn't surprise me anymore because obviously the people I've mentioned previously who are friends of mine, they all silently work behind the scenes, most of them with the Commando Welfare Trust, um, which, you know, I should put you on to, um, but which is, which is an amazing organisation, probably, probably the most amazing organisation. Um, hey, I want to talk to you quickly about Hugh Jackman. Oh, yeah. Are you going to be the next Hugh Jackman? <laughs> and if you are, if you are, who's going to be your nemesis? <laughs> Because <laughs> Ryan Reynolds great, obviously, Ryan Reynolds obviously has got his got his measure. Yeah, that's a great question. Oh man, ooh, oh listen, look, but I, I I'd love to be like I, I had a ride on the motorbike that they used on the Wolverine movie uh, mm. last week because we've got it here on set mm. at our film, mm. and it was it's those moments where you're like, yeah, I can do this, like I'm gonna, you know what I mean? It's those little action hero, and I say to people. Yeah, like, and connection dots. Like, if you feel it and if you see somebody who's been there and done that and you, you can connect it to where you need to get to or where you want to get to, that feeling is real so you can follow that vein. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe like a, oh, man, this is not, I don't want to boast. I'm going deep up. here and I've put you on the spot because I... I, I know, know. No, but like Tim, Timothy Chamelain, however you pronounce his last name, he's playing Bob Dylan. Um, he was in Beautiful Boy... He was in The King with Joel Edgerton and David Michaud directed for Netflix. Great movie. But that guy is super talented. But him doing like some evil goodies and if I had the chance to put on the claws or become another yeah, right. superhero, that would be really fun. I reckon, yeah, he'd crush that. Or even like a, um, I've got a couple of, yeah, i got a mate who I reckon, Harry Richardson, who's a, a good friend of mine. He's a young actor. He's a weapon. Mm. I reckon that would be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So, you know, someone like... Hugh Jackman, you know, it, I think people think that it all comes easily, but I think he's probably a really hard worker. And I look at what you were just saying about, you know, setting yourself these goals and coming up with and having these aspirations and then realizing all these weaknesses. And I, and I use the term weaknesses because we don't use it enough now. The, the fancy HR oh, yeah. word, the fancy HR word now is um, areas of opportunity for development. Um, but you know they are weak. There's certain weaknesses that you need to go and reinforce, right? And so you go and and you do that. But how do you go yeah. about structuring yourself to be able to find those weaknesses, identify them, and then structure your life in such a way as to fix them? Yeah, man, nice. Um, mine, mine, finding my weaknesses comes about because I jump into opportunities and and things where I know I'm going to have. Uh, failings or short shortcomings mm. so whether it be doing a three hour four hour set of music and understanding that my voice isn't going to be able to hold up and then having to find what I do naturally to get me through that mm. and then you go back and you sit down and kind of write out what you need to do or um or what happened right mm. uh or then doing you know bigger bigger events for two songs in front of a, a tv audience of the whole of western australia which is you know maybe a couple of million people wow and then you watch it. You watch it back incessantly, and you're like, "Well, what am I doing? Am I inhabiting the stage? Am I using the cameras? Am I using the live audience? Am I imagine? I can't. I want people at home to imagine the worst fear they've ever had. For me, it's probably swimming with sharks. But I'm sure there's people out there when you said sing in front of two million people in a live audience, and be like, "Oh my oh, god!" And 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 
so even like that's that's a good example. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that I'm always looking for, yep. and and so it, like just I'll, I'll give like three examples and then go back and tell you like how I kind yeah. of move through those. But then another one would be physical stuff. Mm. Well, right now I've lost I think about five six kilos of muscle leaning up for this for this role, um, and now understanding that I'm, I'm doing heaps more yoga and lots more running and cardio and kind of structural stuff, how to then bring that to powerlifting and lifting when I go back to putting on muscle. It changes, um, your, it changes your mental state, doesn't it, when you, when you lose that sort of muscle? It makes you – like I put T-shirts on that used to, I used to you know, fill out and I put these T-shirts yeah. on, you instantaneously feel weak as hell, but you're not. Yeah. You're not, but you, you do. And the, and even my physical presence, I had a massive, like not massive, but I had a bigger chest and bigger shoulders. Mm. Oh, you're a, yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a unit. You're big enough. You, you, walk in a, you walk in a crowds and you feel, you feel smaller. Jeez, you, there's a timidity that comes with it. <laughs> even though you're six foot four, it's like, oh, I'm so small. Anyway, so the identifying, <laughs> the, the, identif- the identifying of the thing is, um, so with the music example and the performance, I, I will sit down and watch it, rewatch yeah. it, and compare and compare it to um, performances that I used to like watch as a kid, mm. which was um, live Frank Sinatra stuff that I used mm. to watch with my my grandparents, or watching Robbie Williams live at Nebworth, you know, and then Foo Fighters at oh, Wembley Stadium. You know Dan McPherson lived with Robbie Williams. Don't even tell me that. He did. Like, you need to reach out to him and talk to him about that. I talked to him about it and he's, like, very coy about when he was in the bill and living, <laughs> with, Robbie, living with Robbie Williams. There's so many women out there who are like, oh, what, Dan McPherson lived with Robbie Williams? And now they want to be his friend because they want to get to Robbie Williams. Yeah. That man is an enigma. But Foo, but Foo, um, Foo Fighters as well, like, to, to watch someone like Dave Grohl who's been in so many bands but to see his stage presence i mean he breaks his leg he keeps playing yeah and and, and the thing with dave too and, and with robbie like they are doing it for the people who are there right they're not doing it for this kind of they're putting on a party like a party that you're going to remember for the rest of your life is that what you're doing um, are you when you get up are you like this is for you like you're doing that for other people it's not you're not I'm, scared about your performance it's like i'm performing for you yeah right Totally. And so I'm watching stuff kind of going, am I using every tool that I'm capable of using in order to make that the best that it can be? Like when there's a camera, have I, when I'm in that room, have I identified where the cameras are and then how to kind of, yes, talk to the audience who are there, but then if there's a chance and I can see the little red dot on that camera to barrel the camera and say hello to people at home. Like, you know, like just thinking what else is there? And if the stage is, and, and so I'll, I'll sit down and kind of just consider things and, and I'll be harsh on myself with technique and missed opportunities and things like that because to me the word weakness and, and the word development, like like weakness should be scary. That It should be scary scary enough to inspire you mm. to then step up and play. Like, mm, it's going to bring you undone. It's, it's, mm. Yeah, like it, it shouldn't – competition is a good thing and competition with yourself – is probably the best thing that we've been given mm. as animals because yeah. you you are you. You only get the one. Why not make it the best one you've got? Mm. Um, so I'll sit down and do that. And and my work ethic is that I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and go to the gym or train or run or swim, whatever. But the first three hours of my day is working through those things. So it'll mm. be working my voice. It'll be playing the guitar for 40 minutes or 50 minutes and working on a scale or working on 
uh, a chord progression I can't get. Mm. The voice work might just be on breath for mm. a week, mm. building your breath capacity, identifying that I couldn't hold that note and then talk to people. So I have to build my breath capacity or Amazing. it could be on connection. So yeah. I'll read poetry because mm. that's seeing uh, imagery when you're speaking. Yeah. So how do I then put that in lyricism? So if I can do that within the first three hours of my day, because by the end of the day, that fearlessness to kind of launch into stuff is gone. So yeah. I've got to I make sure I do it straight up. And so would you look at other people in the industry, not necessarily reach out to them as mentors? I mean, I don't know if you know Hugh Jackman or not, but if you look at them, because I, I quite often say, no, I don't quite often say it. I've put a post out before saying you should hijack your mentors there's nothing original out there go and get seven mentors that don't even know your uh, yeah, your mentor and then go and find the best of them and then replicate that in yourself do, do you do that or do you actually reach out to people and go hey hey Hugh man my claws are not big enough how do I fix this <laughs> hey bro hey bro how do I um yeah. I get those puppies out I can't grow facial hair like that yet what's happening um <laughs> No, man, I, I, I'm with you. I think there's some people who know that I, and I've made it clear to them that I, I consider them a mentor. Mm. Um, and then there's people who, by osmosis, same thing. I just hijack silently mm. and hope that they don't one day go, why are you asking me so many questions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I couldn't agree more. I think what we're talking about earlier with that tribe structure is that we had elders. We had people who had been there and done that mm. and could teach us, you know, how to get from A to B in the dark with stars and the moon. And because of that, we were able to survive. But now everyone thinks with the age of social media and these things in front of our faces every single day. Yeah. That like our story is the most important story and we have everything we need right here. Mm. It's like have some humility because, you know, like you don't know everything. Makes me sad. And you're going to fall on yeah, you're going to fall on your ass. But I, I, I have reached out to – I used to write handwritten letters to um, heaps of people, man, and just see what happened. Like, I still do. Mm. Um, last year, I wrote a handwritten letter to um, – so Andy Circus, who played Gollum in Lord of the Rings and um, wow. uh, Caesar in Planet of the Apes. So he's got a company called the Imaginarium Studios where they film all of that motion capture stuff. Yeah. Um, and a dream for me is to be able to inhabit that movement stuff that I love so much and characterization inside of acting and work there or, or do something with them, you know? I did not realize they, that. That would be so cool. Yeah, right. And they make all the major games there. They have um, like John Bernthal or Sam Worthington or those guys go in and uh, Mark Rylance and Gary Oldman and all these great actors, Mark Strong. Um, no doubt amazing actresses too, but those guys are my idols. So, mm. um, but and they'll go in and they'll make a game. They'll make a like a Tom Clancy type fighter game, and they'll film it all in these blue screen studios with nothing around them, oh, yeah. but like props, you know. That's cool. And so I, I wrote a handwritten letter to the studio to be like, "Hey, this is who I am. This is my background. Um, I would write an email, but this is. I hope this finds you and and is like a token of who I am, and then explains to you what I'm about, and you can see something in that I'm." getting my work visa there. I'm coming over this. I was planning to move there this year. Mm. Um, and I hope to be able to just either work on the sidelines as an intern or just sit and watch or maybe one day get called up to play and, you know, you know, here's my email if you want to get in touch. That's and incredibly – That's inc sorry, man. That's incredibly humble for a guy who's done what you've already done to then go – to then take a step completely back and go, 
you know, I'd love to come in and work as an intern. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I know. I told my I told my agent. He was like, "Are you fucking insane?" What? <laughs> yeah. He's like, "You know, you know what you've done, right?" I was like, "Yeah, I, I do know." But I also I also think there's a genuine genuineness that comes out in that. Yeah, and, and I hope too that like we all have that ability of, um, uh, yeah, and and I I I took that stuff from working that mentality from the Anzacs. Anzac Day is by far to me the most important day on the Australian calendar mm. um, because watching, I remember growing up and watching my grandfather wearing his father's medals walk up and place a wreath and then every man or every woman would place their hand across their medals. Mm. And I remember asking him like, Pop, is everyone kind of doing that because you're covering your heart to kind of as like a sign of um, connection or something? And he's like, no, everyone's covering their medals because in the face of death and in the face of sacrifice, we're all equal. And it fucking blew me away, man. Excuse my language. But that concept of, of like at the end of the day, all is said and done. We, you are you are all just people kind of doing your thing. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, haven't, I haven't told many people this story, but – Years and years ago, I think it was like 1997, I was on the amphibious operators course and we'd been working 20-hour, 20, 20 22-hour days for a few days. Jeez. And then the fight, it was up around Newcastle somewhere, I can't even remember where, but on the last day, uh, well, it wasn't on the last day, sorry, it was on Anzac Day, it was just another training day for us. But um, the, the major in charge of the course, which was a guy called Major Hans Fleer, he saw fit to take all of us. We'd we'd been on an all night transit. Some people who were listening to this might remember it. We'd been on we'd been on an all night um, transit in boats in little rubber dinghies with twin engines, and we had we had deserviced all the boats early in the morning, and then he had picked us up um, in a couple of buses and taken us to the dawn service. And because of my state of resilience, because of my lack of food, because of because of the fact that I hadn't had any real sleep for a couple of weeks, um, I found that dawn service completely overwhelming um, emotionally. <laughs> and it was just something I wasn't able to control as well as I could have any other day because of the, re- and we talk about resilience in a while, but I've never really felt comfortable at a dawn service since because of the connection from that day. I felt I, I had this very, very powerful experience of, of feeling all of the dead through, through the ages and it was because of that um, position I was in from a resilience perspective. And ever since then, uh, you know, I've, I've, I guess I've almost avoided dawn services and Anzac days have been a little bit over. Like last year and the year before, we just went, the boys and I and my wife, we just went to um, over to Rottnest Island and rode bikes around the island for the day. Like we just, uh, <laughs> and, I, and although it feels like we're, I'm avoiding it, it's not so much that. It's just that I, I don't want to have to confront that feeling again. It was a very, yep. very powerful feeling and something that's probably, it was probably enough of a powerful feeling for every Anzac day that I'll ever go to ever again, you know. Far out, man. Mm. And it's different. Like it's different for civilians and different for vets. Like, oh, yeah. and, and people and people who are still certain, like it's, it's mm. a totally different, I suppose, for me, I see it in that way of, um, mm. yeah, I, I, the, the, yeah, that day of recognition and celebration. But that's the first time I've, yeah, 
Yeah, it's, and it it's was great to hear I mean, a and, story from somebody who you know, served. You know what I mean? Like, and don't get me wrong. You know, we've uh, you know I have personal friends, and I, and I know people. We, we lost people from my, we lost a lot of people from from four RAR commando and second commando regiment over the years. So so that, so there's all yeah. there's all of that too. But for me, Anzac Day really is all about World War One, World War Two, and and yeah. less about the other things because the other things are sort of, you know, I, I, I feel for those people, Vietnam veterans, Somalia, Cambodia, you know, Rwanda. I feel, I feel that. But this is an overwhelming thing about World War I and World War II because we're losing, we're losing track of how significant a world against, each, against itself is. Yeah, yep. And if there's anything, there was a, a, a book called The Last... The Last Voices, mm. um, and it's all the veterans from World War One, um, from England and the UK and stuff like that. And they're like some of the some of the last remaining vets. And I think it, I read it about four years ago. Mm. Um, and it was all of their stories from the moment when they were born and how they were raised and where they grew up, and from their own words, um, just kind of someone sitting down and asking them to talk about themselves and then they transcribe it later. And then it was their personal account of the war and everything was only 12, 15 pages. And then it ended with what they thought of the war now. Mm. And all of them said um, how pointless it was or just like the waste of life, how uh, like obscenely crushing it was to general life. Mm. Um, And then the, the, they're really afraid that the lessons that were learned way back then have not been remembered agreed. or passed on. Yeah, agreed. Mm. And powerful. it's really, yeah, very powerful, very, ooh, very um, mm. thought-provoking, mate. Yeah, pretty full on. So you, I know that you have particular thoughts around mental toughness and resilience and you, you go out of your way to try and train that as well, don't you? Yeah, big time, big time. You want to share some of that? Yeah, mate. Well, I suppose I... Growing up, I was pretty uh, excessively bullied. Uh- hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Um, my dad was my primary school principal, and then my mom worked at my high school and then my sisters were both amazingly beautiful girls and they were older than me. So I copped this kind of like 360 degree thing of, and also what you're saying of being diverse. Like I was like captain of the, of whatever sport team I was on, but then I was also like captain of the school and, and, you know, on community leadership things and playing music in the school band. So it was I got, yeah, I was lucky to have parents that were just like, yeah, mate, go do whatever you want. But I just copped it. And you drive past, um, had an underpass that we drive, that I'd drive my bike through every day to get to school. And it was a huge, sprawling spray paint thing, like Joel Jackson is a faggot. Um, nice. And you ride past, hey? Nice. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was good riding. It was good color. Jesus. Good color. But you'd ride past that like every day for like four years. And it was pretty interesting to, 
and I wasn't necessarily like a big guy growing up. There wasn't a lot of me. I was just tall and lean and play football and get knocked out a couple of times. And you get headhunted by the kids that despised you at school. Yeah. Um, and then you get up and play as, an, as a 17-year-old, be playing A-League and B-League footy with Laurie Bellotti, who used to play for the Eagles, and he puts his knee through your face in the first ruck contest and you'd get, like, knocked out for mm. however long. And, like, it, it scared the hell out of me. And I'd, I'd think from the ages, like, 16 to 19, I was a pretty interesting mm. young guy trying to figure out what I was doing and where I wanted to go and my mental aptitude of facing challenges. Um, and you wouldn't have developed a combat mindset or understood what a combat mindset was at that age, so it's very easy to go insular and withdrawn. Totally. And I, 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 if I could go back, I just, oh, man, I, I would ask that kid just to sit with the, un, the discomfort. Mm. Yeah. And I, to just I was, I, grow I was in that. Picked like on, I was picked on in primary school for a little bit by a guy. Um, I won't mention his name. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, and I was thinking about this recently, about being scared to walk home by myself as a, as a 10-year-old. Um, and it's interesting because that same fear, that fear of I'm going to get beaten up on the way home, that same fear now is something that really excites me. It's something that, right. It's a combat. It's a, it's a, it's a different, it's the same feeling, but it's manifested in a different way now. And I can't re, I can't get that from anything. Um, but that, no. I want to tell kids who are being bullied or, or parents who've got kids who are being bullied, that fear that they've got inside them actually is not an unhealthy thing if you can explain to them what it is and then and then find a combat mindset. And that may mean sticking up for yourself and taking a whipping or or it may mean, you know, another run through the kill house on the, on the you know, in the counterterrorism team. It's the same bloody feeling or it could mean, yeah. could mean going out of a Black Hawk at night time into a village in the middle of Afghanistan on night vision goggles and facing an adversary who's got a machine gun. You know, like it's yeah. the exact same feeling, but it's just the way that you interpret that feeling. Um, and, and there's a lot of work to be done around that for kids. And also, just don't fucking bully kids. That's the other thing I'd nah. like to throw out there. Just don't bloody be a bully. Don't bully. Don't bully. Don't, don't treat people. And that's it. Those yeah. things taught me lessons, man. And, and what you're saying too with that, like, that same feeling now, like I, Going on I stage. still use, mm. yeah, I, I still use anger. I still use fear and I still use um, that, that righteous kind of vitriolic thing of me wanting to prove someone wrong mm. as the biggest fuel that I, that I have. Like mm. when I train, it's, when I train, it's all of that anger and all of that justification that I, that I can muster. And that is just like, I will be, you know, I, I will be 10 times what that kid was doing back then and burn so brightly that, like, I'll burn those guys away yeah. just because it's that thing of going, just you wait and see, dude. Like, just you wait. I haven't even started yet. Like, But you know what I like more than that, Joel, is and, – and I thought um, I thought for a while I'm going to beat the shit out of this kid. Like, I mean, years later when I was in the Army and then, and then 10 years into being in Special Forces, like, if I ever see that dude – you know, in a pub in yeah. Adelaide, and I'm going to destroy him <laughs> in front of his mates. But then, but then I, but then I thought about that, and I mean, that's just such an unfair thing because our lives have taken different paths, and and I've done this stuff, which is a lot more combat centric and would end badly. But then I, I started to think about, oh well, you know, the best revenge in life is just to be successful. 
right? And now people are nodding to that thinking, yeah, yeah, just be successful. It's the best revenge. Actually, I've even gone past that to the point now where I'm like, prove prove your supporters right. Don't prove your doubters wrong. Yeah. Don't even worry no. about it. And, and, and if you, because I'm, I'm so with you on that because I find it, it's like, mm. and I think everybody would find it incredibly hard to kind of follow through on the things that they want to be able to do. Um, but if you've got your partner, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, or, or your brother and your sister or your flatmate, whoever, your mum and your dad, mm. and if someone comes to that concert or comes to your, your cafe opening mm. or reads your book or reads your blog or repost those things, that's fuel. Don't, don't look at that as mm. someone just kind of doing the right thing. People mm. believe in you and the worst thing that you could do is like you're saying, discount that belief mm. and uh, like and take it cheaply. I think when when someone comes up and says, "Oh man, I love that TV show. I I, I love that thing." I will make an effort to sit with that person for at least ten minutes mm. and and really make the effort to yeah. to to say thanks yeah. because that person will then push me to go to the next story or mm. inspire me to. Because when you're sitting on a soundstage and there's 180 people out there shooting the movie or about to do the thing and You've never been in that position before, but you have to pretend like you've been in the end zone and you are that quarterback. You've been here before. You know the drill. You've got it. Um, Previous supporters, right? You're reminded. Yeah, prove those people right. Do it for that guy. Do it mm. for that lady. Do it for your mum. Do it for like find a reason to fight, and that isn't just for you. And that's helped with my mental toughness. And also that that thing of I say it again, but speaking to your elders and being able to mm. when I go and have the quiet thing or a cuppy cuppa down on the beach or a beer up in the mount wherever you go or just sitting down after the day that thing of sitting with whatever thought might come through that's uncomfortable or and then sitting there and going well imagine what your old man was thinking when he's got three kids you're living on a farm in the middle of nowhere he's working three jobs and you're kind of going this problem is kind of small Mm. it's okay Mm. it's a problem it's my problem but it's kind of small um so let's figure out a way to, and you write it down. And as soon as you write it down and you can see it, it's no longer a scary thing. Yeah. It's, it's something that you can solve and it's yeah. something that you've gotten out of yourself. And if you can identify a problem, it's, it, it becomes solvable and yeah. the problem is its own solution. Are you a perfectionist? Do you think? Oh, 100%. Mm. How do you struggle um, with that? <laughs> yeah. All the time. Mm. All the time. Mm. Especially, especially in a creative industry where things never go to plan mm. and whatever you hear in your head or feel in your heart never translate to screen or microphone. And the, and, and the craziest thing is in what we do, like theatre is the closest thing where you'll be able to actually control everything you do. Yeah. But when you get to film, there's mm. four things before it goes from you to the audience, which also saves you a lot because it tidies you up and makes it look yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I, I suppose it's that I have to continuously retire that reptilian part of me and be like, it's okay, and then bring forward, you know, it's okay to fail or it's okay to not be perfect and bring forward the other reptilian frontal lobe thing, which is just like whatever happens, make it be the best thing that does happen. So going back to like if you were hunting, just to bring up the Comanche thing, but if you're hunting down like buffalo in the middle of nowhere mm. and something doesn't go to plan, well, it's like, well, Okay, well, what's the plan now? Keep running, keep mm. riding, keep. You've got all your tools, so why, why, why are you afraid of making something that 
isn't what you thought of. You're probably going to make something better because you're out of your own way. Yeah. So here's a good example. Um, Thomas Edison used to used to sleep with um, metal ball bearings in his hands, right? <laughs> yeah. So he'd, na- he'd nap like three times a day and he'd go in a massive armchair that had no arms on it and he'd have his arms draped over the side of it and have two metal trays either side underneath the ball bearings. And what happens when we fall asleep is we go between like three different zones and the middle zone is the hypnagogic state where you are conscious but you're lucid. Mm, mm. So you're sleepy and you often have visions of the last thing that you saw or whether it be like if you were surfing or whatever, you kind of see those imagery and your senses will heighten, but the filtering of consciousness will kind of fade off. But what he'd do if he was struggling with an equation or solving a problem or whatever, he'd do that, consider the problem because he'd been looking at it all day, start to fall asleep, and in that hypnagogic state, his muscles would relax he'd drop the balls, the balls would hit the trays, he'd wake up and his subconscious, because the conscious mind is removed, would tell him what the problem, like the solution was. Yeah. I I absolutely 100% know what you're talking about because I was struggling with a certain part of the first book, um, The Fighting Season, and I couldn't work out. I, I had written a problem in the book that I couldn't work out for myself, that I needed the characters to work out for the book to go any further. And so, yeah, so I had a day, I had a day off. I had, a, I had a day off from riding and I dropped the kids at school. It was in Dubai and I went for, a, I went for, a, it was like you know, 40 degrees or something. I went for a swim in, in one of the beautiful pools there. And then I was laying by the pools, no one around. I'm laying by the pool in the sun and I'm just daydreaming. But I was daydreaming as the characters trying to solve this problem. And then one of the characters <laughs> turns to the other one and goes, yeah, I, I can't believe that this that this person has that and that's what made this all happen. And then I woke up and went, oh, my God, that's the answer. You know, and then I rushed yeah. home and started writing. But that was my subconscious grappling with that problem for a long period of time. So I wonder how many times I've done that in my life, actually, where my subconscious has gone, hey, you need to do this to, for this to occur. So for me, and if anybody out there wants to try it, like cooking to no music, like so actually doing a big meal where you've got to, you know, chop up and do certain things and it's quite complicated. Doing that with no music and something that you know or swimming to know like to, you can't, or you can get earphones now, running with no music. Um, so that so that, that hypno, hypnotic sort of breathing, constant um, movement. Yeah, and, and even driving with no music or no other input other than just you being there. And you just cycle through stuff. You just... You, because you're actioning and doing certain things, you, there's a breath thing that happens where you kind of just get out of your own way mm. and you start to have these conversations with yourself and, and the more you kind of do it, the, the better you get at leading your brain into that state. There's a few CrossFit workouts that I do that end up like that as well. You know, little yeah. chipper workouts where you're like doing box jumps, 400-meter run, 400-meter row, box jumps, wall balls, 400-meter yep. run, 400-meter, yeah. And midway through, you had that idea of like oh, the this. thing you've been trying to solve for a month. Like Which those kind of activities. Hard for you to where, say oh, because music's so important to you, I'm assuming. Oh, it's my life. Man. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in those things, you, you'll hear stuff that mm. if you've been listening to albums all week and then you have a day of silence, mm. not, more often than not, you'll, you'll hear a sound that wasn't in those things but came from that place that becomes your song. Is music euphonic? Like is it 
does music put you in certain moods? Can you put an album on and go, right, this is going to do this? Like if I, if I put on um, Linkin Park while I'm working out or, or Rage Against the Machine, you can guarantee that I'm going to start <laughs> throwing shit around the gym. <laughs> but there's also just this. Throw but it's just all, throw on plates up there, frisbees. Yeah, <laughs> but also if you're driving a sports car and you're listening to certain happy music, you just feel alive as well, right? So, so does that do that for yeah. you? Are you able to pick certain albums and go right? I want to get. I want to be in this mental state. This will do it. Yeah, totally. And uh, more often than not, if I'm reading or trying to solve a problem or I'm writing something. Um, or studying, I'll listen to the same song on repeat for like two hours, yeah. which is really strange to hear. But it's also, it allows for really deep focus yeah. because it's a sick, good, cool thing. And especially if it's not just like a, a yeah. blast out Foo Fighters track. But mm. A couple of the scenes in, in my second book, um, you know, Off Reservation, a couple of the fight scenes in that were a catalyst of a song I was listening to at the time, which, which, which predicated the movement of what I would see. Yeah. So it was like, if this was an action movie, which it goddamn will be, because I'm going to get yourself and Dan McPherson to drive this. But if it was an action, an Australian action like movie, it'd be like, this is the music that would be going on in the background while these guys are fighting in this street. And at crescendos at this point just happens to be at the same time as a drum solo. Right. Like, like that's, yeah. that's that, that to me is a very powerful motivator music, you know? And it, it's interesting too, because when I was in the first battalion, we would we would have waltzing Matilda as our you know as our um, unit song, and they'd play the band would play that. But then there's this drum thing in the middle of it where there's a you know the snare drums doing like a rolling snare, and and a thousand men back then we're talking around ninety three. You'd have a thousand people with all of their with all of our units attachments and everything you know marching down the street, and every left foot is is hitting the deck at the same time as that bass drum going and then there's a snare drum over the top of it. That is a powerful yeah. tribal thing going on. Yeah, and the there's some great um, playlists and stuff like that where if you train to beats per minute, right, so everything's in that, whether it be 150 or 160 or whatever for running, that gives you that doof, doof, that because mm. it does, like mu- music, oh, man, there's I could go on forever. Something but primitive about it, isn't a, it? Yeah, there's, there's a link a, to there's it. A book. Hey, mate. There's a link to it somehow with us and and um, the way that through the generations, through how we've evolved. Well, David Byrne, the leading man from Talking Heads, wrote a book called How Music Works. Um, and if you ever want to just understand what music is, if you've or whatever, like this book is easily the Bible as what a lot of musicians and artists we all refer to it because he talks about how everything was created in its own sound, like in its soundscape. So people in Africa playing drums to each other, they couldn't sing because it's not going to carry on a distance, but drums would. Mm. Wagner creating that bum, bum, ba bum, 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 ba bum, bum, and mm. his Tristan and his old stuff. He was playing in concrete halls. Mm. So anything that didn't have a percussive element to it would just keep ringing out. So mm. he had to make stuff that was bum, bum, ba bum, like clipped. Whereas people that are playing in wooden theatres and stuff could have more sway and beautiful things. So... It's, it's a complete expression of where you are mm. and what you're doing and therefore informs you so much more of, yeah. of where you're going. And like I'll listen to music before seeing mm. when I'm working. Um, if you're doing a, a fairly intense part, you'll, you'll have a, a song for the character um, and it will always remind you. And one of my favourite exercises is to kind of do 
giving away secrets. Um, Don't have to do but, that. Uh, no, no, it's a, it's a, the, the. I might be the next Joel Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> hey, seriously though, one question: What's your yeah. favorite? What's your favorite part of a song without any sort of music musical accompaniment that you can just go blasting out in the shower? Oh, my, my favorite. Yeah, so what do you just Ooh. sing that you don't have to have any music with? You can just, just, it's just your voice. At the, at the moment, um, Whiskey and You by Chris Stapleton. Really? Do you know Whiskey and You by, by no, Chris Stapleton? Give me, you know Chris give, me, Stapleton? give me a sample. Let's go. Oh, man. You went to go to get the you guitar go. then, didn't you? I did. I... <laughs> <laughs> it's in a different key, though. It goes, there's a bottle on the dresser by your ring, and it's empty. So right now I don't feel a thing. I'll be hurting when I wake up on the floor, but I'll be over it by noon. And that's the difference between whiskey and you. Nice. And it's just like, it's this, ah, oh yeah, it's this really beautiful thing about like a guy who struggles to, oh, I don't do it justice, but Chris Stapleton, man, what a singer. Really? He, um, his music is amazing, man. And he, he's a very stoic, kind of country Tennessee Nashville type guy um, and a lot of his music speaks to that uh, stoic masculinity that that doesn't isn't able to say yeah. the things that we want to say when we have the chance to yeah. or is too kind of stubborn do you know Gene Pitney yeah man so what what I loved about Gene Pitney growing up is it could make anyone's voice sound okay I thought well but there was this huge, there was this amazing range that Gene Pitney had, which was, yeah, I don't know. But it always seemed, the range always seemed to be matched by the music. So maybe it wasn't the range, it was the music changing and his voice was just subtly changing with it. Like uh, Liberty Valance, for instance, I thought, you know, I used to think I was a rock and roll star singing, you know, Liberty Valance in the shower. Dude, Paul, um, and I'm, I'm a sucker for lyrics. So, I mean, I'll, I'll rock out to stuff, but then if I've got time by myself, especially because you're writing songs all the time. Like mm. every, every night I sit down for the past, because I'm writing this new album, it's like you sit down and write mm. uh, on when you are staying at the hotel, like on their little thing, you have to write down a page of notes or a page of lyrics or a poem or whatever. So by the end of the week, you've got seven pages of potential things to kind of use, right? Mm. Oh, it's really interesting. I was reading a book called um, The Talent Code and I'd really suggest it to anybody who is on the cusp of kind of learning something new but struggling with the idea of having to learn Yeah. Um, because you actually have to it, – it just talks about how talent isn't something that naturally comes. It's, it's the brain building new framework over and over and over again which then makes it so quick and easy that it becomes natural. And when we build a new skill, it's – building a new um, electrical, you know, electrical pathway in our brain that enables us to pass one signal to the other. Yeah. The more we practice that signal, the more we build those chunks of like a skill of swinging a, you know, uh, a golf swing or learning how to play a different chord or a different scale. Yeah. You are building those chunks and the more you repeat it, something called myelin wraps around that circuit, right? And the myelin is like copper around a broadband or something. It increases yeah. the rate of passage. Mm. And so all the, all the, and the only thing that builds that is deep practice, yeah. practice and practice. Which, practice. Make, which completely so, makes 
it completely justifies and, and this and Aristotle doesn't need any justification, but you know, we wow. are we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence yes. then is not an act, but a habit. It's a habit. So yeah. so we are what we repeatedly do. Excellent then is not excellence then is not an act. It's a it's a habit. So which is what I consistently say about consistency. You know, be <laughs> you know, if you want to be excellent at something, you have to be consistent at it. Yeah. And if I want to write better songs, I've just got to keep writing and sometime yeah. along the way but, that but what about, song is going to fall out of can, me because I've repeated the action of writing, you know. Is singing something that anyone with a voice can learn or or do you have to have yeah. that angelic voice that No way, man. I wouldn't I wouldn't class myself as a great singer. I'd class myself as a good Jesus, if have, that, you, have you sat on the opposite? Good, good <laughs> you haven't sat on the yeah. other side of listening. Oh, you are a good singer, mate. There's no doubt. When you came on at the WA Awards, everyone I saw tables of people all looking at each other, going, "What? Who on earth is you know Australia's best kept secret?" I mean, ah. I mean, I don't. Hang on, I'll, I'll bang out some Liberty Valance for you, shall I? We'll see. Let's have a crack. Yeah. All right. All right go on. Go right. on. <clears throat> how do we? How do you start? Like, how do you um clear your your get yourself ready? Like the what are those things called that you do? Scales? Scales. For me, it's, I just do like a big, like I do a, there's a Russian thing called um Stoika. And it's a thing of like continuing action. So it's a, it's, I don't really do warm ups. I have more in my head, like whatever. Yeah. It's weird. I just kind of do like, I split my legs a little bit and then I clap. All right. Like so that, this is, like this is without, this so is without, do, without a warm up. you can clap and then do like a big, do a clap and then do a big breath. And okay, you're ready? Up. Like, All right. Yeah. When Liberty Valance rode to town, the men would step aside. How's that? That's a start. I dig it. When Liberty Valance rode to town, the men would step aside. Because the point of a gun is the only law that Liberty understood. When it came to shooting straight and fast, he was a mighty good. There you go. <laughs> good man. Good man. Yeah, bloody good, mate. You, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. You, you missed your calling, mate. There's a pathway. Um, the thing is, I've got a friend who can do, I got, we've got, you know, we would sit in the back of these vehicles at night, like going, going home after exercises, and one of my mates, Pat would start singing, um, you know, rolling, 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 you know, that. <laughs> yeah. Get right I, into I ch- it. I challenge you, like, when you do it next time, like, sing sing that stuff when you're doing your next big workout. Like, yeah, because you're doing something and just, like, every, like, yeah, 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 airways are out there. You're just kind of, like, mm. I used to love working on the farm that we have back, back down in Albany and mm. being up north and working on stuff and singing. And blokes would love it. Blokes would be like, yeah, keep going, Jackson. Like, come on, mate, have a song. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. There's, there's yeah. something about it, man. There's yeah. something about it that just is. Um, I think we. And like I suppose to- that's why I get I think- so physical on stage is because I-, I know that I'm just going to sing better if I'm the more physical I am. I think we also like to. I think we also like to celebrate people who can do that. Like that. Go- it's like almost, and I'm not a religious person, but it's almost like a God-given talent you know and we want to celebrate people who can sing like that and that's that's been like that for millennia you know yeah big time and i and just going back like i don't what i was going to say is i'm not like a great singer but i'm a good storyteller and i think that is so much more important yeah, than it's really important anything else same as paul kelly man like paul kelly peter allen is a great example peter allen was not the world's greatest singer but 
God, he could tell a story, man. Tannerfield Sadler, what a song. Um, yeah, the guy wasn't the best voice in the world, but mm. he, yeah, he'd, he'd make you feel things. That was that's for sure. And so, what about what about scripts? I said we'd talk about that. How how difficult oh, yeah. is it to learn the scripts by off by off by heart? And I mean, we're talking voluminous pages of scripts for some of these movies. Oh yeah, and and in TV land here in Australia, you are shooting like fifteen pages a day. Wow. Um, which is ridiculous. And then doing stunts or, you know, action and remembering people's names and living your own life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and having to do, having to do your own, your own time. Is it stressful, man? As well as, yes, it's stressful. But I, I also think about it like everything is stressful and there's people who are managing major businesses or taking care of, you know, hundreds of men and women trying to stay alive. And, and I'm, I'm struggling with, two pages of dialogue while someone makes me a coffee mm. and, and makes me feel very comfortable. So at the end of the day, I'm pretty, pretty lucky to do what I do and, and to mm. be, be able to keep doing it. But I know that it's the result of hard work. So, yeah. you know, it's good. Yeah. Um, but learn, learning the scripts is, is the same thing. I, I will be, I'll sit down and um, I'll learn it in chunks. Mm. Um, so I'll read the total script, you know, like, 50, anywhere from 50 to 200 times, mm. depending on, depending on what it is and how long I've had it for. Crazy. Um, just so you can get the, the picture and the arc and the more you read it, the more you compare it to other films or other stories that you know, because every story has only been told like six, whatever, six or 12 times. Do and you know do what you, I mean? Like, do you data dump once you've learned it <laughs> and you've done it? Is it like, boom, gone? Like, like I still remember my bloody phone number from, you know, 1987. Nah, it's out. I'm like, okay, cool. See ya. Awesome. Data dump. Um, but so I'll, I'll learn it as a story and as a myth. Um, right. And I'll look at it in that way because it'll make it more kind of grandiose for me and I'll be more involved because I love mythology. Um, and then you'll sit down and take it apart in like the five chunks of storytelling. So yep. what's the instigating, what's, when it's happening, what's, you know, your preceding event, where's the climax and what's the resolution? And then you'll learn those slates and then you get it. Yeah, right. It's like, it's, like an interval, yeah. it's like an interval worker. Mm. Um, and you learn to understand that craft and then you're learning your character's arc. Yeah. And then what's going to happen is awesome. people then, when we set it up, you'll be shooting in no way in sequence. No. Um which is so like when we're doing Peter Allen, for instance, we did three decades in one day mm. and that was like, what? Yeah. And there's, there's three different accents, three different physicalities, three different men. Um, wow. But because you've been so clear with your learning and with your understanding of the story, it, it's, it's quite easy to kind of slot between them all. But mm. when you get your scenes, then you're kind of learning them by themselves. You learn the dialogue but I will always learn through action. So, you know, it says I go here and I push him there or I get pushed here or I grab that. Yeah. And, there, and then I'll kind of, in my mind as I'm going, just like watching, um, you know, when you watch great skiers before they ski down stuff in the Winter Olympics, they're always kind of just on the spot going through the course yeah. physically. Yep. Yep. Um, I do that. So, so I visualisation. I know my yeah. Yeah, I, vis I visualize what might happen. Mm. I know that actor or I don't know this actor, so that's an unknown. I know how this actor works. I don't know how this actress is going to be on the day, so yeah. 
I've got to leave space for that and kind of ebb and flow. And then you'll learn your lines. And yeah. I, I try to learn them by rote and with no intonation so that mm. you don't learn a pattern, you don't learn a song. Um, oh, and then you and then you let the emotion come through and the, the rote, the rote learnings behind the words that are going to come out, but the emotion is the way that you say it, dependent totally. on the scene. So it's, yeah, right. Yeah, it becomes like a, it becomes a mechanical thing, so that it's subconsciously all the ingredients are there. Mm. Um, on a, like consciously, all so the you're ingredients bringing are the there science and, and the art together. Yeah, totally. Mm. And it's like it. uh, a, a lot of other actors I've, I've worked with um, will just kind of try to learn the lines and you know, every time you read it with people, they're doing the whole scale of the show and, you know, the scene and you're kind of doing it and you're going, okay, cool. But what we do is, is actualizing things for the very first time, right? Mm. Every time is the first time mm. this person has that moment, even though we've rehearsed it sometimes two months in advance. Yeah. Um, and you've got to be there organically, realistically, just alive. Um, yeah. And that stuff is really tiring and it's really, um, it's exhausting because you're emotionally vulnerable and you've got to be pretty well guarded because there's a lot of people there because I'm a friendly dude. Everyone wants to talk to you when you're at work and you're like, man, I'm trying trying to concentrate. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So you could get sidetracked just by virtue of the fact that you're sociable and people take advantage of that without realizing it. Totally, and and our Australian system is so different to overseas. Overseas, it's like you leave actors alone, but here, because, this is what I love about our country because we're all mm. alive. You're all equal, um, so there's no qualms. But you just make you just make those rules very clear. You mm. just kind of mm-hmm. I have like cues where if I'm got my head down, people know not to speak to me because yeah. they're like, oh, that's different for Joel. That's yeah. that's not yeah. If I just lowered. Yeah, if I've lowered my gaze or if I'm just sitting down quietly, it's like people will give me space. Um, so, and that's about learning your own physical cues. Like I couldn't do that stuff four years ago, but now mm. it's very much a part of my technique. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping we get to do another podcast in the future because I could talk to you for hours, but I'm also sort of aware <laughs> of both of our time. But before I let you go, I want to ask you one last question. Yeah, but if you were if you were sitting in front of a production team and they asked you this question I want to know how you'd answer it Joel what do you think you bring to the character of James Bond and why should we pick you (laughs) Um, listen I think I'd be the tallest Bond that you'd have yet um, which could be really interesting because I could shoot over fences (laughs) Um, man if I got to do James Bond and you know, those are those things that we're talking about before. Like you say things and some people just look at you like, dude, you're crazy. And you're like, well, it's possible. Did you um, see, did you see, um, the, 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 I think it was it Netflix or was it, it was a, it was a television series and it was McMafia. Yeah, man. The that, book of that is insane. Yeah, I'd love to be able to write like that, but yeah, like the night, uh, the night watchman or, um, yeah. The night Body manager. Gun. Yeah. Have you seen The Bodyguard? Is it new? Is it the new version? I mean, I've seen Whitney Houston one back in the nineties. No, <laughs> he's my bodyguard. <laughs> um, but the uh, no, there's a there's a TV series on Netflix called The Bodyguard oh, right. with Richard Madden. He plays a return vet um, 
who then gets called into work for mm. the Minister of Defence in England. And he's really conflicted about serving her because she's pushed forces into Afghanistan and mm. has other conflicts and stuff, and he's lost men, and then it just unravels. That's cool. I might go and seek that one yeah. out. But, yeah, McMafia, yeah, though, that was like that actor that played that. Like I thought he was top notch. He was very believable, and you wanted, you know, that that whole Russian insidious sort of, you know, family. Yeah, but um, I reckon you'd make a good uh, evil person in a Bond. Like, you know, have an Australian there who's, you know, can sing and dance for evil. Like it could, <laughs> it could be a whole. I want to sing on your dead body, James. <laughs> I'm going to dance on your grave. As this like really evil Mexican villain. Yeah. Um, no, man. I think I think like I've I've been amazingly lucky to to kind of be in rooms and and be in places where, like you're saying, you get you get to a position and someone goes, "Well, what are you going to bring to our production?" Um, and you're like, "Oh, well, Jesus, okay." And you have a little chat, and then by the time it all kind of goes away, two hours later, you get a phone call from your manager. Yeah, being amazing. Like, I don't know what you said, but you said a good thing. Yeah, cool. Um, that must feel amazing. But it's it's great, man. And the best thing about that is you kind of acting is really strange because you have to wait for somebody to give you permission to do your job, mm. right? Like, yeah. you could be the best in the world, but until someone says you're our guy or you're our, you're a gal, mm. you're not in. Someone has to give you permission to do your job. It's so strange, but mm. the, I've, I've taken, I've been lucky enough that I've kind of got a great team who trust me to go on knocking people's doors and yeah. like go to LA and sit at the front of a production house for three weeks. No, not three, but three days until they're like, okay, come, like, come in. Like, what do you want to say? Um, I want to go to a casting with you and, and one day oh, and, man. And, and, and just try, um, and I want to try out for it with no one knowing. Hey, dudes. Yeah, well, you have to come to one in LA when, when you walk into a room in LA and there's like 35 people that look exactly like you and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Yeah. Like, he's got more hair than me. Oh, man, like, his nose is straighter. Oh, damn. Like, <laughs> that dude's buff. <laughs> yeah, that dude's really buff. Or like, that guy's really skinny. I've got this because he's supposed to be like a massive guy. Um, What's the... But it, it's... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, no. Oh, I, actually, no, I was just wondering what your success rate is. Man, I, I think, and I say this to so many people um, who are young actors or even like to friends who are having a rough year, and I'm like, dude, we, we, we have the craziest profession in the world. We, we put in upwards of 200 job applications a year. Wow. Right? Like, that's just an audition. If you think, if you consider the time, every time we're going, every time we're auditioning, we're going for a job. Like, we're yeah. going to be employed. And sometimes you do like five in a week, you know? Crazy. And you'll and you never, and sometimes you won't even hear, like, most of the time you never hear back from them. Mm. And, and I wanted to mention this before because we talked briefly about success versus growth. And I know we're, we're pushing time, but I think the concept of this is really interesting. And I want to mm. leave it with you guys because someone mentioned it to me the other day. Yeah. Um, my coach that I kind of go to once every three months and just kind of check in with. And he was saying to me like last year, build your resilience to know. And not only then does it make it easier for you to say it, but it makes it easier to hear it because we hear it all the time. But if you just do simple things like walk down to your local coffee joint or your new co or like a coffee joint you've never been to, preferably one you've never been to and rock in, get your coffee order. And as you go to pay, be like, Oh, actually um, I've left my wallet at home, I have no idea. Oh, sorry. Um, can I still have my coffee? <laughs> right. And if they say no, 
you've just like you, you miss out on a coffee and you just go around the corner and get up, you make one at home. But you've heard the word no and, and it just builds that little it's, – it's just a word. But we have dis- destroyed say yes, coffee businesses all over Australia. There's about 180,000 people are going to go and try this yeah. out. Right, yeah. Okay, let's have a national day of no, right? Yeah. The, the Sunday that this comes out, everyone go to your coffee shop and say you haven't got money to pay and get used to hearing no or guess what? Get a free coffee. Yeah, or I, my favourite was I went past a car wash place and I was like, hey, man, how you going? He goes, that good, but pretty pumped. I'm like, yeah, you guys look really busy. Do my, you wash my car because it's dirty. I don't, I've left my wallet at home. But, like, you, you, there's a, there's a, there's a. You've made it so like a, obscene, they have to say no. Yeah, they're like, no. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Sorry, man, thank you. And then you leave. But you, you're hearing it. You're hearing it, like. Asking people for silly things like, oh, do you mind if I wear your shoes tonight? <laughs> no. You know, like you, you just build this. You build, yeah, and that's the thing. It's laughable. Like, but it's not. I think we do just, it. I think, I think high performers probably do it a lot and expect to hear it. Yeah. We, you thing. should expect the same thing as weakness and identifying that nothing good is ever going to come easy. And, and guess what? Like all those great artists and all those great writers, like, like Nietzsche, no one thought of him as a great guy and like a great philosopher until he was dead. Yeah. Like Jeff Buckley, no one liked his music until he was dead. No, I like, liked it before he was dead. Oh, you okay. You're, you're, yeah. you're one of the better people. I was three, but one of three. Like there's not like, just because some, like one person says no, it doesn't mean there's not going to be a hundred other people that want to say yes. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. it's, it's, we build that resilience and, and that's been a big thing in, in my profession is hearing no and then going, Okay. Well, just because you said no doesn't mean that mm. there's 50 different films out there that would love to have me on board. I'm still a valuable asset yeah. in terms of you, you don't what I'm follow it on. with. Do you know who I am? <laughs> no. Do you know I who I am? <laughs> I remember going out one night with an actor, oh. and like couldn't get into a bar because we were quite drunk, and it was like, "Do you know who I am?" And I'm like, instantly going like. I am not hanging out with you. For the Dude, rest. Like, that does no not, way. No, yeah. Nothing's ever solved from the, that next the next thing. That it was like going to Hugo's in Sydney back in the day. You know, I'd walk, I'd, I'd go in to go in there, and the guy'd go, oh, "Not tonight, mate." And I'd look at him and go, "Why?" Knowing full well because I'm not as beautiful as everyone else in there, probably. You know, why? And he's like, "I don't have to tell you why." I went, "Yeah, it's a fair call. You don't." Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah. Go to Lady and, a, and the same thing, same thing with the acting world. Like, if a lot of people and I ask my agents to follow up with casting directors and ask them, you know, why it didn't go our way or what happened, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, mm. doesn't matter. Move on. Um, mm. You know, let that every time you look at it, look at it as honing your craft. Like, every time you got to jump out of a black hawk, you know, mm. what you were talking about before, or mm. you, you're continuously honing down in on whatever that thing is. Every time you get to do you know, a 5K run or a box jump or mm. every time you get to have those conversations with your kids, the same we're talking about with bullying, like mm. how are you getting better at having those things? And, mm. and, and you know, we, my favourite thing, my brother-in-law served in the military overseas and he's an American guy in the Marine Corps and I remember him talking to his son and just saying, we're sitting there talking about them doing football training and stuff and my nephew was saying how he couldn't, get this move right. He was only 10 or 11. And he's like, the dad was just saying, well, we'll go out and do it again tomorrow. Cause he's like, you don't learn everything at once. It's 1% at a time, buddy. 1%, 1% every day. If you can build on 1%, you're, you're going to build a pretty beautiful house. If you're trying to put it all up at once, 
it's just going to fall apart. Mm. Fair call. Joel Jackson, been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. I've, learned, been a I've learned so much. I'm really looking forward to going back and editing this and making, <laughs> and making my singing sound better. <laughs> <laughs> Put some like eight tuning and some, some drums on it. Yeah, yeah, no, what I'll do is I'll go and get I'll go and ask Hugh Jackman to sing that very thing for me and then I'll put it in as if I did it. Um hey Why thanks, you man. Ask Dan, mate, Robbie. Yes. His little his little known friend. <laughs> hey, I want to thank you very much for your time. Time time is the most important thing we have, and I, I thank you for giving me an hour and a half of your time, mate. No, Bram, thank you very much for, for having me, man. I'm feel very cool. humbled to be here and to be having this conversation. So um, thank you. Let's grab a beer when you're in Perth next. I'd love to see you. Mate, I would bloody love that. Mm. You'd be good, huh? Cool. All right. See you, mate. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.